0: What are we discussing on today's podcast, you ask? Well, the D-backs racked up another one against a mighty foe in the National League. How were they able to do that? And then we're talking with Sully Baseball, Week 1 Overreactions, all on today's Locked on Diamondbacks podcast.
1: You are locked on Diamondbacks
0: Welcome into the Locked on Diamondbacks podcast, part of the Locked on Podcast Network. Your team every day listening to who? Always charismatic host of this podcast, Miller Thomas. I'm a multimedia journalist and I'm a graphic designer, so please go check out my website, MillerThomas24.myportfolio.com. On there you can see all my latest work, from my packages to my articles to my photos and my graphic design. If you want to see more content by me, then just follow me on Twitter at CreatorThomas24 for my personal account, or just look up Locked on Diamondbacks, both Twitter and Instagram for the podcast handle. and of course. Thank you for making Locked on Dimebacks your first to listen every day. I would not be able to do this podcast without you, my loyal listeners, sharing, subscribing, reviewing, doing all that so I could do this podcast for you. Thank you. It's free and available on all platforms. So please continue to tell your friends. And today's podcast is brought to you by HelloFresh. Skip trips to the grocery store and count on HelloFresh to make home cooking easy, fun, and, of course, affordable. That's why it's America's number one meal kit. Go to HelloFresh.com slash MLB60 and use code MLB60 for 60% off plus free shipping. Now I want to talk about that D-backs win against the Milwaukee Brewers because currently, if you guys can believe this, the D-backs sit not just atop of the NL West standings, but atop, atop, the mountaintop of the National League standings, the entire league conference, whatever you want to call it. And listen, I know it's early. I'm a guy that likes to ride the emotional roller coaster. I'm not trying to get too high on the D-back so far because it's way early in the season. It's a way small sample size. And when I get hyped about the D-back starting 7-4 and, and taking down, you know, I mean, they haven't taken down the Brewers yet, but they split the series against the Padres, whooped the Dodgers overall in this season series up until this point, won the first game against the Brewers. It's like, I'm hyped. I'm happy for the D-backs. I'm happy to see them win and take down good teams to start the season. Like, this has been a really tough schedule to start the season. And I'm like, look at the D-backs, a non-playoff team from last year. Look at how they're starting the season. And so many people in my life want to poo-poo on my parade. Maybe it's because they're jealous and their team's at the bottom of the standings. And the only argument that they have right now is that there's 150, Fifty more games which I can't deny still a lot more baseball to be played many more games to be played and so I'm not going to get too high on the D-backs but man it feels good to watch a team take down good teams right now and also like we've been talking with Sully Baseball it's never too early to win games at the end of the season despite playing 100 despite playing 162 games every time you look at the standings at the end of the season guess what Whether it's the wild card, division standings, it always comes down to, what, one or two games, maybe a half game. It always comes down to the final games of the season. You play all these games that, at the end, every win still matters. And if you're trying to tell me wins at the beginning of the season don't matter, then you're crazy. Because guess what? Winning the season series up until this point against the Dodgers matters. You don't play them again until... August, who knows what that would have on the implications of the season by that point in the standings because the D backs have this head start in the NL West standings. So, D backs, another great win last night. At the time of you guys are hearing this, last night it's 11 11 p.m. as I'm recording this. So, maybe I should make a wish or make a wish, or maybe the D back are already granted it by winning another game against the Brewers. I think my wish is probably I don't even need a World Series, a D backs wild card berth division you know win the division make the playoffs i don't even care if you lose in the first round like a d-backs playoff berth would be a pretty nice wish to be granted but let's talk about this d-backs victory against the brew crew i feel like i sound terrible whenever i say the brewers against the brew crew because milwaukee so far like we just discussed really good team they coming into this game was second behind tampa bay for the best record in baseball. And the D-backs really, from a pitching standpoint, really dominated this game. And I really want to do, quickly, we're not going to do the good and bad. I'm just going to talk about the good from this game. Give you three quick goods from this game. First quick good. Zach Gallen looked back. Zach Gallen finally looked like his Cy Young self. Zach Allen seven innings, three hits allowed, one walk, 11 strikeouts. And let me not just tell you the straight statistics, The the straight stats with Zach Allen. The thing that was interesting about Zach Allen's start is he went away from his fastball. And we've talked about a lot on this podcast about we have to watch Zach Allen's fastball velocity, make sure it's not concerned because it's been lower this year than it has in years past. And in this game, Zach Allen just, he didn't abandon the fastball. He threw 24 fastballs. 25% of his usage was fastball, but he went curveball heavy. He threw 40 curveballs in this game. 42% of his pitches were curveballs, and looking at his Statcast. You saw in the first game of the season, his first start, he threw 45 fastballs to 18 curveballs. In his second start, 32 fastballs to 25 curveballs. So we saw this trend already starting to happen with Zach Allen where he started throwing more curveballs as opposed to fastballs. I mean, it wasn't exactly taken over yet in the second start, but it was starting to trend in that direction of maybe getting close to throwing as many curveballs as fastballs. And then in this game... Basically, two to one ratio he throws curveballs to fastballs. And I'm looking at the stat cast right now. I think this is the most curveballs Zach Allen has ever thrown in a star. I think his previous high was 38, 40 he threw in last night's ball game. So, Zach Allen, the curveball seems to be. Maybe his new go-to pitch, we'll see if he continues to go to this pitch longer um, as his main weapon out of his arsenal. Maybe it's due to the fact that he can't find his fastball command right now and can't get that velocity up. Or maybe he just feels his curveball so nice and it's so devastating. The way it was breaking tonight, like the way it was snapping off was disgusting. So maybe he's just going to keep riding the curveball because that's his best pitch. Or maybe it's due to the fact... That his fastball is not looking as good, but it's probably a combination of both. But either way, Zach Allen looked back last night. My number two thing, Ketel Marte, is back to being locked in, and Nick Ahmed stays locked in because Ketel Marte two more hits, lead off two for three, two runs scored, a walk. Nick Ahmed three for four, and on the season, Ketel Marte now riding a seven-game hit streak. I thought at the beginning of the season he looked lost at times at the plate, looked very unconfident, but also before the season. One of my big predictions: Ketel Marte bounce back season and it's seven game hit streak right now. Ketel Marte's numbers are slily, or are slowly starting to climb on the year. Two seventy five average, three ten OBP, and a five hundred slugging. I think you would take those numbers from Ketel Marte over the course of a full season. Then Nick Ahmed, he's a hit in every game he's played in except one this season, and his slash line we went over Geraldo Perdomo's yesterday because. Gerardo Perdomo is like an 800 slugging on the season. But Nick Ahmed is not far behind in terms of just insane slash lines because 400 average, 400 OBP, and a 480 slugging. Nick Ahmed has been insane this season. Those two guys have been on fire recently. And the last good that I want to talk about from this game is the bullpen, because the bullpen only had to go two innings, but it was perfect. There was no nerves, no anxiety from watching our relievers on the mound last night, and a guy like Scott McGuff, he's given us a reason to be anxious at times, because he's given up multiple runs and multiple appearances, but last night against the Brew Crew, he came in, got the job done, One, two, three inning one strike, only had to throw 16 pitches, and then Andrew Schaafen in the ninth inning. The Sheriff. I was like, is this man going to get an immaculate inning because he looked that dominant? He was just dying up the edges of the strike zone. And he went one, two, three with three strikeouts as well. Great performance by the D-backs here. Offense did just enough. Christian Walker had a big home run in that game. But... Zach Allen looks back. Your bullpen pitched a perfect last two innings. Quetel Martin, Nick Ahmed continue to look good at the plate. You got a Christian Walker home run. And the D-backs sit atop of the National League, at least tied at the top of the National League. Yeah, I'm feeling good right now if I'm a D-backs fan. And now I want to talk about our new sponsor, So Rare, because it's a revolutionary fantasy baseball game and marketplace transforming fans into owners with officially licensed digital. Cards featuring players from across all 30 MLB teams. Unlike other fantasy baseball platforms, so rare managers truly own their fantasy experience, collecting, buying, selling, and competing with player cards against global opponents to win epic rewards. Win or lose, you still own your cards, and there's no cost to play. MLB game weeks happen twice weekly and span a three to four day cycle. At the end of each game week, MLB managers who rank at or near the top of their leaderboards win a variety of rewards, which can include So Rare scarcity cards, game tickets, merchandise, signed jerseys, and VIP experiences like meeting MLB stars. Prizes may vary depending on the competition, so head to SoRare.com slash locked on. That's S O R E.com. To draft your team of free player cards, set your lineup and start competing today to win epic rewards. Again, that's SoRare.com slash LockedOn to start playing today.
1: We are here with you like that, Reed. Mm-hmm. Well, welcome to Lockdown So Rare. Hey, uh, Miller Thomas, we've been talking, we've been kissing the Diamondbacks' butt for two straight weeks now. Deservingly feel, so, deservingly so, deservingly so. But hey, uh, let's talk a little bit about the rest of the major leagues. Yeah, um, what do we say is, is you want to talk a little bit about overreactions as we are just about 10 games into the season. We're about one sixteenth of the way through the, through the major league baseball season so far. Um, I can tell you something from my end uh the Tampa Bay Rays mm. are doing everything you count on. Now, Sarah Lang's is one of the great follows in all of uh, major league baseball. Yeah. I mean, she previously was on ESPN. She's now for MLB. She's just, uh, the great, great site and great feed on Twitter if you want to get some great baseball stats. I'm going to quote one of her tweets right now. Uh, the Rays have a 57 plus 57 run differential through nine games. That's almost impossible. Now, for the team's first nine games uh, to have a 57 run differential, that's that's never been done Since 1900. Okay. Hell, it's never been done since 1890. It hasn't been done since 1885. Okay. We're going way back. We're going back to Chester Arthur as president. The St. Louis Maroons, we've been mentioning them, they had a plus 78 uh, run differential in 1884. The New York Gothams had a plus 63. And the Rays are a little bit ahead of the 1882 Providence Grays with 54. And the 1876 Hartfords of Brooklyn. Now, that's a confusing team. Are they in Hartford or are they in Brooklyn? No idea. And that's 1876, which, mind you, was 11 years after the end of the Civil War.
0: Yeah, you were eight
1: Yeah. I mean, if you made a Lincoln getting shot joke, then you could say too soon. Too soon. 1876. And those games were blacked out. And by the way, please follow Locked On Hartford's of Brooklyn. That's our new show we have. And only the best information for your Hartford's of Brooklyn. But that's how good the Rays have been playing. And yeah, I know they've been playing some tomato cans, but they're winning the games they're supposed to win. And if the Rays want to knock off the Yankees and want to knock off the Blue Jays and force themselves to have a seat at the table, I've said this before, and I'll say it again. It's never the wrong time to win nine games in a row. It's never the time, oh, I wish they did do it. It's always the right time to win nine in a row. And they're on Monday, they're at home against the Red Sox. With Nick Pavetta on the mound. And Pavetta's actually pitched, pitched all right. But here we go. This is a big test for the Red Sox, who have a winning record after stomping Detroit. But we're going to see. This is their first big challenge. Can they prevent the Rays from going 10-0 and 0 out of the gate? What do you think?
0: Yeah. And the Red Sox have been one of the best offenses in Major League Baseball. Maybe that's the way they have to take down this Tampa Bay Rays team, who is the best offense in Major League Baseball, who I think is averaging like eight or nine runs a game because the crazy thing about Tampa Bay, just go to baseball reference and pull up all their stats because basically as a team, their position players have a 936 OPS with a 280 average and then their pitching staff is pitching to a 2-1-3 year rate. Like, on both sides of the ball, you have, like, 10 dudes playing at an all-star level in your lineup. And then on the pitching staff, everyone's basically pitching, like, prime and Kershaw. So when you look at it from that perspective, it's like, how can you take down Tampa Bay? Because I wrote a list of overreactions, and one of mine was... Is the American League playoffs gonna run through Tampa Bay? Should they be considered the favorites in the AL? Of course, it's a week one overreaction, but considering they are nine and zero to start the season, you just brought up stats about how no one has touched and no one has started a season like this since pre nineteen hundred. Like, I have a goal of being maybe the last person from the nineteen hundreds alive. I was born in ninety seven. I feel like it's a realistic goal. But oh, you're even- beating, oh, you're beating me. You're yeah, there's yeah. no you're beating me. I you are at my funeral. There's no getting around it. Uh we'll we'll see about that, Sully. You never know. But there, yeah, there's yeah. no one alive from the 1800s. There was no one alive for any of those Gotham's or the Hartfords or the Brooklyns. And what Tampa Bay is doing is something that literally no one alive has seen before, which is something whenever you can say that, I feel like you gotta write it down.
1: And like Drew Rasmussen threw seven shutout innings on Sunday. He is he has won his two starts. He has not let up an earned run in the 13 innings he's pitched Jeffrey Springs has not let up an earned run in the 13 innings he's pitched. So two of their starting pitchers have ERAs of zero and Jeffrey Springs, this is, this is, he's thrown 13 innings. He's struck out 19 batters in those 13 innings. He's walked four and has allowed three hits three. I mean, I don't care if you're pitching against pigs, that's phenomenal. So, and they're, you know, they're facing major league batters. And look at, we're going to have to see right now, the collective ERA for the entire Tampa Bay Rays team is 2.13. Yep. 2.13 is the team ERA over the first nine games. And the uh, the team uh, OPS is 936. You're going to win a bunch of games that way. Yeah. So, and remember, this may not be an overreaction because you and I talked about this. The, you know, this is a team that went to the World Series in the truncated uh, uh, COVID season. And then they ha- the, in 2021, they were the lone 100 win team in the American League. They lost those two walk off games to the Red Sox. You know, if, if that ball didn't ricochet off of Hunter Renfro, chances are the Rays win game, uh, win game three and probably win that series. So they were an elite team. Last year, they were completely banged up. None of their starters and stars were in the lineup by the time they made it to the the wild card series against Cleveland. And they still made the postseason. So now they're healthy for the most part. You know, and they're still, uh, I don't know, I don't think this is a fluke. Yeah, I don't. You, think, they're not going to win. A, I don't think they're going to win 115 games. But I think this is definitely a playoff team, and I picked them to be a playoff team.
0: Yeah, I think I. I think I had them borderline playoff team. But I think I did pick them. The thing is with the Tampa Bay Rays. I'm never going to be surprised what they do in the regular season. I do think they could be one of the best teams in the regular season. I do think they could finish with the best American League record because that's they're one of those teams that from an analytical standpoint, they know how to manufacture wins. They know how to breed pitchers in their minor league and just have you've said it before. They're like the Terminators when it comes to pitching because they could just keep producing guys year after year. So I have no quibbles about maybe maybe thinking of the Tampa Bay Rays could be one of the best teams in the American league in the regular season. My gripe with Tampa Bay and my slander for Tampa Bay always comes for the postseason. I never think I think they're always too rigid when it comes to those analytics, and they don't allow you know they they don't have enough feel when it comes to their game. So I want to see how it plays out over the course of regular season. We'll see if they could convince me. I doubt it because for me, I think it'll probably always come down to the postseason for Tampa Bay. They could probably go one hundred and sixty-two and zero, and I'll still probably pick someone else to beat them in the postseason. But considering the start that they're having, how historic it is. If I'm Lockdown Rays host, I think I'm pretty happy. I think I'm more happy than probably running the Lockdown Dimebacks podcast if I'm running Lockdown Rays.
1: Well, there you go. Well, look, at, I'll tell you something that we should be very, very happy about. I think uh-huh. we should be very, very happy about the fact that if we want to make any sort of wager for our teams, we can go to America's number one sportsbook. That's right. It's FanDuel. Grand slams, no hitters, and double plays are back, and there's no better place to get in on the Major League Baseball action than FanDuel because right now new customers can step up to the plate with a no-sweat first bet up to $1,000. Just go to fanduel.com slash locked on, sign up, place your bet, and get up to $1,000 back in bonus bets if you don't win. So don't miss your chance to get a no-sweat first bet up to $1,000 when you join FanDuel today. Just go to fanduel.com slash locked on to sign up. FanDuel, official partner of Major League Baseball. All right, Miller-Thomas, what are other things that we could be overreacting about as we're here on the 10th day of April?
0: Okay, I got, some, I got some team-specific ones, but here's a general baseball one for you. Mm-hmm. The new rules are the best thing for baseball since steroids. Now, I have- think they've been... Look it,
1: uh one of the things I think has been interesting, I'll tell you a, a, a metric that I was able to observe, but um, that I'll tell you after I say this. We're seeing that the number of walks we see per at bat, the number of hits per at bat, have not been much different than the last year. So in other words, the action on the field is pretty much the same. It's just happening at a faster pace. And the thing that I think is great is the fact that we're seeing more speed. Yep. Uh, I've always loved speed in baseball. That helps pick up the pace and pace of play is if a runner's on first base, you're excited to see what will happen. You see more people going first to third on hits. I think it's great. But I'll tell you another thing. I went to a game at Dodger Stadium the other day when they were playing the Rocks. And I don't live far from Dodger Stadium, but it is a difficult drive. No matter what, to drive up and down the 110 from my home in Pasadena to the stadium. It, it's, it's, it's always a traffic jam and the uh, the you know getting out of uh, the, the, the parking lot of Dodger Stadium is playing a game of Tetris. Now the game the game started around uh, a little after seven. I stayed for the whole game because that's how I roll. And I was back home like 10, 10. So from the point where they threw the first pitch to me pulling up to my driveway was just a little more than three hours. Hmm. And with the LA traffic, with the LA traffic. Wow. And those days, Oh God, it's 1115 and I'm still driving home. You know, there was a game between Toronto and the Angels on Sunday, which I think may still be going on. I think the final score was 12 to 11 or 13 to 12. It was ridiculous. And it was a long game because it was extra innings, final score 13 to 12. But it wasn't like a four-and-a-half-hour game. It wasn't one of those games where you felt like you were watching Lord of the Rings, where you're like, okay, this is there's a lot of good stuff happening here. But we can pick up the pace a little bit. Long right, we battle. Have, yeah, we don't have to listen to five more Hobbit songs. Just eat your biscuits and keep walking, you know? And and this was a game that included lots of pitching changes, you know, lots of checking gloves and all this other stuff. So we're seeing the pace of play, not just not just the length of game, but we're seeing it's not affecting the action, which I think a lot of people worried about. Oh, it's going to be an increase of in that, increase in this. I think by the time we get to the postseason, we will be used to a lot of the new rules. And I still I still hate Ghost Runner on second. I really do. I still don't like the Universal DH, but I've been able to, as I said before, I've been able to rationalize that by saying I would rather have the Universal DH and labor piece than the two rules and a strike. So I'm like, OK, fine. Then just I'll, I'll live with it. I'll live with it. I do miss National League Baseball, but I also think we've got to realign the divisions into four regional divisions. I think that's the next great thing. But so far, I'm, I don't see a problem with any of the new rules. I think they've been working so far.
0: Yeah, because the new rules are doing exactly what you just said. We're increasing the pace of play without losing action because I got some numbers here to drive home the point. Sully baseball, because right now, games are about two hours and 37 minutes long. The last time games were under two hours and 40 minutes was 1985, Sully baseball. So it's been a very long time since we've seen games happen this quickly. And right now, we're seeing 9.32 runs scored per game since 2008 only twice have we seen teams in a game score at least 9.3 runs a game so we're actually getting as much offensive as we've ever seen before in the last 15 years while also getting quicker more efficient games we're still getting the third most pitches per plate appearance Ever that's ever been tracked this season, so the pitches are as, as most as ever. We're still getting as many runs as we've ever seen in the game, and yet the time of the game is still being taken down drastically. This is what I wanted from baseball you still get your pitches, you still get your offense, but you don't have to be in a stadium for six hours and spend your whole day there. I absolutely love what the new rules are doing to the game,
1: and also think about you saying 85. That was a period of that was like the golden age of stolen bases. Mm-hmm. You had Ricky Henderson stealing a hundred some odd. You had Vince Coleman stealing hundred some odd. You had Tim Raines. You had Willie McGee. You know, you had so many great. You know, was so you look at the stolen base leaders for each year. It was, you know, it was it was a lot of fun, and that was and and maybe you could make the, like, Willie Wilson with the. Uh, uh, The Royals, you know, the the Blue Jays had a ton of guys like Tony Fernandez who would be stealing bases. I mean, it was fun. It was fun watching guys steal bases because there was that sense of adventure when someone's on, someone's at the, someone's at first. You know, when Ricky Henderson took a walk, or Vince Coleman somehow got on base, your eyes were on Vince Coleman. Your eyes were on Tim Raines. Your eyes were on you know, Ricky Henderson. And, and of course that would mean who was batting behind them. So for the, you know, for the Cardinals, you would have uh, a Willie McGee or a Jack Clark batting behind him for the, for the Yankees. When Ricky was on the Yankees, you would have Mattingly or Winfield batting behind him with a pitcher trying to throw a fastball. It just made it, you know, you can't give a big fat pitch to Dave Winfield, but at the same time you can't throw a big looping breaking ball and have Ricky take second. You know, it's, it makes the game more exciting. And the fact that you brought up 85, again, I'm showing my colors a little bit. I was 13 years old in 85, and that was the baseball that I grew up on. And so it's starting to resemble that. Yeah. We've been I, really, trying, I really missed the loss of the, the stole the base game.
0: Yeah, because we've been trying to curtail the three true outcomes, right? The walk, the strikeouts, and the home runs. And so far, I think we're doing that because you could just use – Sunday's game with the D-backs against the Dodgers as a microcosm because they hit no home runs in that game and they still put up 16 hits with 11 runs scored and still had an offensive outburst. I think that's what we want to see more of. Action on the bases. The D-backs have been a great team at this. Just creating havoc. It feels like every time someone quick from the D-backs gets on the bases, you know you're going to get your one or two pickoff attempts. Then you're off. You're off to the bases and you just see these pitchers just get so distracted with these base runners because they're behind them dancing and they just know listen listen, you can't throw to me anymore so i'm taking off very next pitch and there's nothing you could do catchers are becoming more important nowadays because of it sully let me give you another headline though the mets don't look like money well spent because you look a bit down that roster right now they have a lot of injuries and a little bit of a slow start right now max scherzer hasn't looked Particularly great. Verlanders on the bend. Starling Marte left with injury. Guys like mark Kana and Eduardo Espar aren't exactly living up to expectations either. It's a lot of Pete Alonso and Francisco Lindor in that lineup. And then Senga's been pretty good in that rotation. But a lot of them guys that are making big money on that Mets team right now, Sully Baseball. I don't know if Stephen Cohen's wallet is feeling too happy right now. Way too early.
1: Wait, I think way right. way too early. Oh, it's,
0: overreaction. it's overreaction. It's an it is an
1: overreaction. Um, teams can get off to bad starts and win it all. The there's a book out right now about the 1998 Yankees that's making the rounds. 1998 Yankees got off to a bad start. Um, the last few World Series champions got off to a bad start. You know you you're you you were factoring in the possibility of injuries um, when you look at a team like the Mets and you try to make predictions of how they're going to turn out, you know, they, that, that, will happen. And so I think everyone's got to take a deep breath and say, okay, okay. It's dink off to a sensational start. This is still a very good baseball team. And I think eventually, you know, the team will, you will see this team play the level of baseball. I think they're capable of doing. So I think oh. I, wouldn't, I wouldn't be that worried for a Met fan. You would rather the team be healthy in September than in April.
0: Here's a positive one for you. The Pirates are this sneaky wild card team to watch out for because they've started this season pretty good. Someone like Brian Reynolds looks like he's, we know he's in a contract year. We know he hasn't gotten that extension yet. And right now he looks like he's playing with his hair on fire, ready to get the bag. I think he leads all of Major League Baseball in home runs right now. Guys like McCutcheon are having, you know, Bounce back season, I guess, a little bit at their age. And unfortunately, O'Neill Cruz, we know, just saw that fractured um, ankle because of that little altercation he had at home plate. But the Pirates, I, I wasn't against the Pirates entering the season. I didn't think they were a wild card team or anything like that. But I was like, listen, I'll take their over on FanDuel if their over was 71, 72 and a half wins. I was like, I think the Pirates could get to 73 or 74 wins. So right now, overreaction, Pirates, sneaky wild card team to watch out for.
1: No. No, they're not a wild card team. But here's, but here's where I'll put a caveat. This is that division, the National League Central. We're going into this year. It was clear only one team was going for it: the St. Louis Cardinals. Yep. The Brewers, if they go off to a bad start, they're going to sell everyone off. The Cubs aren't there yet. Reds, we know they're not there yet. And the Pirates have a lot of talent on that, but they're not yet there yet. So how could a team win that division? They could win that division if the Cardinals have a bad start. Now, the Cardinals have a lot of talent, and they, you know, Jordan Walker's been, you know, the, the, the young kid on the team has been fantastic. Yeah. But um they've not been flying out of the gate, and the pirates are winning games, they're supposed to win. Now, what you're what you're hoping for is that they can build upon this. They can build upon this uh good start that they've had, and if they do that then they could possibly be a not a, I don't think they have a chance of being a wild card contender but maybe they could steal the division if this is going to be one of those years where there's one crap division and winning 82 or 83 games is enough to win it if that's going to happen in any division it's going to be the National League Central and it will happen because it's a one team division the cardinals and if the cardinals flop that will allow a team to sneak in. I remember the 2005 Padres won the division with 82 wins because the Giants and Dodgers and every other team, the Dimex, everyone grossly underperformed that year. So the Padres, who were actually not very good, and at the end of the year, because they got swept by St. Louis in the playoffs, ended the year 82 and 83 essentially, uh, but they finished the regular season 82 and 80 won the division because there was no other team that was above 500. So if the Brewers stumble, the Cardinals fall under the weight of their own stardom, and the Reds and Cubs aren't ready, and the Pirates continue to play well, yeah, they could be that sneaky team. And I think that would be a great story for baseball. By the way, I just want to go back here. I'm over at baseballreference.com, the single greatest website in the history of the planet Earth. Um, In 1985, Gary Pettis of the California Angels. That's what they were called back then. He's our coach for the Astros. And Willie McGee, who was the National League most valuable player that year, each stole 56 bases, 56, which tied for fourth in baseball, which shows you how different stolen base game was then. Tim, Tim Raines stole 70 bases that year. Ricky Henderson stole 80 And Vince Coleman stole 110. Jesus. 110 bases. But how many times did he get caught? Shut up. You're missing the point. You're missing the point is when 110 times Vince Coleman got on base with a bunt single or a walk. He essentially turned it into a double. And that's what made it fun when those players, you had Ryan Sandberg stole 54 bases. Juan Samuel stole uh, uh, 53 bases. Lonnie, think about this. Lonnie Smith on the, uh, you know, who, actually, no, he wasn't. He he was on the Royals. Okay. Uh, I was going to say he was third on the Cardinals with 52. But, I mean, Davey Lopes was 40 years old. He stole 47 bases. Gary Redis, remember him? Former yeah. Reds, Reds and Pirates player, he stole 48 bases. Brett Butler, not the comedian, but the center fielder for the Cleveland Indians. That's what they were called back then. He stole 47 bases. It was just a lot of fun watching all those players just run like jackrabbits. And uh, I, I am looking forward to seeing that again in baseball.
0: Yeah, I don't think we'll get any triple digit guys this year, but guys like Corbin Carroll, I wouldn't be surprised if he touched 70 guys like Jorge Mateo from the Baltimore Orioles. wouldn't be surprised if he touched 70 because a lot of these guys so far, if you look at the league leaders, it's around six and five stolen bases within the guys, you know, first eight, nine games of the season. So on pace right now, the the, the league leaders and stolen bases, they're all right around 70 stolen bases for a year, which is Probably something we haven't seen. I don't don't have the numbers exactly in front of me, but it's probably something we haven't seen in a few years. Probably something we haven't seen since like Billy Hamilton first came in the league and he was just running wild with the Cincinnati Reds back in 2014 or whatever. Maybe Jacoby Ellsbury back when he was stealing like 70 bases with the Boston Red Sox because it is something of an epidemic that we've seen the last few years, right? Something that we've talked a lot on these podcasts about how we just need the stolen base back. And I think when we look up at the end of this season, when we look at the league leaders, we're going to be like, man, A lot of people stole 50 plus bases. And I think this is only the start of the renaissance for the speedster in major league baseball. All
1: right. The last thought of that guy, I'm going to bring up the 85 Cardinals who should have won the world series. They had a blown call against them in the ninth inning of game six. Um, Tom, Herr and Ozzie Smith each stole 31 bases for that team tied for fourth on the team. 31 Um, Lonnie stole. Friend of the podcast, guest on the Old hey. Sully Baseball Show. Lonnie Smith stole 12 bases in 28 games. Okay? He played 28 games for the for the Cardinals that year and stole 12 bases. That's a lot. And Joaquin Andujar stole three bases. A pitcher stole three bases on the team. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine the Sabermetrics heads exploding, watching their ace pitcher steal those bases? Three bases. And there you go. No. Well, look at but you stole our hearts, Miller Thomas. Oh, thank you. Um, tell people where they could listen to your great show.
0: Yeah, I don't even know what pitcher, could still three bases. I don't know who's our best pitcher athlete that we got today, because Mad Bum probably got that uh, title retired. But you can follow me on Twitter, at creatorthomas24 for my personal account. Look up Lockdown Dimebacks both Twitter and Instagram for the podcast handle. And please, please, please hit subscribe on the Lockdown Dimebacks YouTube channel.
1: And you can follow us at Locked On MLB Pods on Twitter and Instagram. I am your pal Sully. I'm at Sully Baseball on Twitter, Sully Baseball Podcast on Instagram. Overreacting is the way only we can. This has been the Locked On Diamondbacks, Locked On MLB crossover. I'm Sully. That's Miller Thomas. Let's fist pump for another week. Boom.